Matt, this is our introduction to the Howl episode. Did you listen to it? What'd you think? Yeah, I did listen to it. I like what they're doing for sure. I do too. I think they have a lot of a lot of good stuff going on. Yeah, it's just that I'm I I am in favor of what they're doing. There's no unequivocally, but I just think that what you and I are focused on is 10 times more important than that. So my whole life as a hunter, what's impacted me most, okay, I've never been constrained by anti-hunting. Never. Same. But I sure am constrained about people by people leasing out my hunting spot. I'm constrained about driving by, past how, how, housing developments and seeing woods that I used to hunt gone. That those yeah. are my those are my heartbreaking moments. Yeah, yeah. There's that too, for sure. Because it's never coming back. Right. Right. Uh but that you can't do anything about, in my opinion. You're not well, not even in my opinion, you're not gonna you're not gonna roll back urban development. But you could you could come out like these people that have a voice and they're fighting for stuff for the hunting community, they could come out against leasing, especially in states where there's programs that allow everybody to hunt. It's very safe to take a stand against the anti-hunter. It's a very safe, no, you're not going to get in trouble with any faction of the hunting community by trying to combat the anti-hunter. Right? Yeah. I mean, it, and somebody needs to do that. Somebody, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. somebody needs to do that. But a 10 times bigger problem to me, to the average hunter in this country, the public the 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 public land hunter is and which is the only hunters that I'm I don't care about the private land hunters like that's not why I started this it's just outside of my sphere concern but um I'm impacted every year and always have been by crowding yep I've every year's always have had my experience diminished by leasing you know so i don't i guess to me it's like this anti stuff is something we should be focused on i'm glad they are i wouldn't want to change their mission but in my view and in you know in my view there's the 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 the, the biggest problems are just different problems than the antis yeah having said that though they are still an important facet to protecting hunting but you just don't prioritize it as highly because you've the the threats to hunt hunting have always been there and they always will be there is that kind of what you're saying 
I'm just saying my whole life, I've not, I've never once been negatively impacted by anti-hunting legislation. Never once. Yeah. But I'm impacted every year by decreased access. And what causes decreased access? Well, leasing, you know, so people will, it's really easy to know, like they were talking a lot about how the, the hunting industry is supporting them. And that seems like very obvious to me that they would, because it's not controversial. And if the antis got were be, as the ant if the antis become more successful, that will negative Im, negatively impact the hunting industry. I don't have we don't you and I don't have anybody in the hunting industry coming at us and saying we're going to support you because you are trying to educate against the injustice of leasing. Which to me is just a way, way bigger, more pervasive problem for hunters in the U.S. The guy with the most money taking all the access for themselves, for themselves, you know. And so, yeah, but but I mean, this is like just turning into me saying all the shit that I always say. <laughs> but you know, uh, no, I I appreciate what they're doing, and maybe they're right. Maybe that's the biggest threat. Maybe the antis are the biggest threat. It's just hard to picture in a state like Montana, where I live, where a politician coming out with any kind of anti-hunting agenda here, you'd get hung up in the town square, you know? I, I was just going to say, like, I think it's geographically, and, and that's perfectly fine. I mean, I think it's it's a, it's appropriate that you prioritize what's in front of you. I mean, that's what people do. Now, the guy that lives in Seattle that hunts or the guy that lives in New Jersey that hunts bears, he might say, eh, I prioritize yeah. these guys a little bit more than 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 what Matt's talking about. And that yeah, is yeah, that is yeah. OK. That makes That's sense a, to me. And it's not like I, these things are mutually exclusive. Exactly. Yep. They're, they're, they're in my there's there. I don't have any there's. Nothing about their agenda do I conflict with their stated agenda. So I, and, and I support them and I'm not so, I'm not so like arrogant to think that my, my threat heart hierarchy is the right one. You know, maybe their threat hierarchy is the right one. I'm open to that. You and know, those threats are not. Uh, consistent they they vary as from year to year but right. i think you, you what you're saying and what we're talking about is the constant threat the perpetual threat and the increasing threat of and it's not even a threat it's realized losing wild places losing access to wild places increased crowding those are things that people just haven't talked about and Hopefully. Nor will they. Nor we, will they. You yeah, that's the say, problem. You can't. You can't be a public hunting person and say, "Boy, crowding sure is the biggest problem," because you pr you promote hunting. Yeah, you know, it's like saying I am the problem, and they are the problem. 
you know, but, um, but anyway, I do want to, I want, I do want to break your balls a little bit because what could I possibly done wrong? (laughs) Okay. I heard a lot of talk on that episode about loss of hunting privileges and bears. Yeah. How many bear hunting bands are you aware of? Uh, full disclosure that went through four. Oh, but, I don't think you'd have to be embarrassed about that. I don't, that's one more that I know of. Ontario so lost their spring season de- uh, a while ago, 15 years ago. Uh, Ontario for black yeah. bears? Yeah. They no longer have a spring season. Really? Okay. Wasn't aware. Uh, New Jersey, British Columbia, and then Washington. Those are the three that I know that actually. That's that's five. Wait, Ontario, New Jersey, uh, British Columbia, um, British Columbia, and Washington, and Washington. Okay, I know the fifth one. You can't spear hunt bears in, um. What's the province just north of here? Alberta. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is Alberta. In Alberta, you can't because of Josh Bomar. And you can't grizzly bear hunt in British Columbia because the Einsteins that rolled that bear down a cliff and who hollered. So demonstrably, I mean... Who knows what role social media played in the other three closures? But demonstrably, with two of them, two of the restrictions on bear hunting that have come of two of the five are demonstrably linked to social media, people putting the dead stuff on social media. So, what I want to know is why in the world wouldn't you? encourage them them being howl to take a strong stance against putting dead game on the yeah that's social media that's fair and when we were recording i need you i need you to (laughs) i need you to fucking Go hard on these people, Jim. See, I'm the good cop in this relationship. You're the bad cop. I'm the good cop. (laughs) The biggest reason why I wish you would have asked them, like, if you guys are so concerned about the antis as you obviously are, how in the world can you condone putting dead animals on the computer? And, like, it's not just those two cases. Those are the... Those are the two closures, but like the insane controversy yeah, th- that, that's that... been caused by putting dead stuff on social media. And that I... sh- should have been a question I asked, because that is a fair question. That is a, f- a very fair question, because those two instances that you're talking about, those two closures were specific due to social media posts that got out and got the ball rolling, and those two things closed bear hunting opportunities down. Yeah. 
And that was a fair assessment. I should have asked them that. I really should have. And if I if we ever podcast with them again, and I hope we do, I that is a fair assessment. That's I'll tell a- you what the I'll I don't know what they would say, but I'll tell you what I believe ultimately would be their answer. I'll just throw that out this out there. And everything I want to say, but like I don't want to do like Ben O'Brien, where you like record a podcast with somebody and then record an addendum where you shit talk them like he did to me, you know, Um, at the at the end of his podcast. Oh, yeah. When I right, I haven't even listened to it, but you were telling me about. Yeah. Oh, he's like, he's a grown man and he's shaming, trolling, trolling people and all this stuff like that he didn't bring up when we were talking um so i don't want i i am with these guys i support these yeah i i do too absolutely three guys um so but uh okay i lost my train of thought now but here here here's what i think i think they're new and i think oh okay go ahead go for it go for it because i i go for it I remember what I was going to say now. Oh, now I forgot again, (laughs) but no. Um, I think their answer would be the real answer is either we agree with you, Matt, but if we go against that, go against putting dead bears on social media we'll lose our industry support that'd be one answer that that could be a possible answer and and or the other one is we disagree with you matt and we would lose our industry support well they they came out and said we don't need more hunters yeah they are against our three And that's ballsy. I'm yeah, I'm happy to hear that. That's ballsy. That's ballsy. Yep. That's ballsy. And you know, I think a ball another ballsy answer for them would be to be like, Yeah, man, social media ain't doing the hunter any good. Yep. Um, and then they and, just admit it. They just admit it. They go, but we can't call them after that because we'll lose our industry support. Well, and and they are a new def- new company. They're they're a year old, they're trying to build momentum. And I'm sure they're just trying to build relationships and they're they're yeah. overlooking, you know, some things. And and maybe over time, maybe they are shoulder to shoulder, shoulder and shoulder uh, with with some of this crap that's on social media and they're yeah. they're against it. And well, and it's even OK to be against some of it. You know, like there's articles written about the worst of the worst stuff like yeah. that chick. Like that chick that stuck the dildo up her, the sheep she shot. Um, Did you hear about that one? I did. Yep. Yeah. Or, you know, the worst of the worst. But I just, I wonder if they'd ever, like, what? There's no value in any of it. So instead of having to cast a judgment call about what is going to be acceptable and what's not, why not just do away with all of it? Because it's like there's no, it does it it does nothing to benefit your hunting. Having dead animals on the computer does, and dying animals on the computer does nothing to benefit your hunting. 
and it's all and and it has led to closures fans yeah in some circumstances it is absolutely has so i i just like i just can't get my head around well i mean it's obvious it's because people just love to brag about their dead shit and other people just love to look at it yeah but there's there's degrees of severity and while it's never going to go away but but i think the the bad stuff the very the worst of the worst can and should go away i think there's a light at the end of the tunnel with getting rid of that stuff right but i'm not even concerned about that like at the end of the day it's like because i'm not concerned about the antis it's the tasteful stuff that's most insidious to me because what i'm concerned about is that all of this has created a, an enormous market for hunting opportunity the tasteful stuff is going to cause uh, is going to increase the monetary value of hunting access more than the grotesque stuff so that's why i think of the tasteful stuff as the biggest problem you know there's a outdoor life article that's indicates that between 2000 and 12 and 2016 the number of leased acres hunting acres in montana went from 7 million to 28 million so in how many years 2012 to 2004 years jesus that wouldn't happen in my view if it wasn't for hunting tv and hunting social media and the tasteful stuff is the stuff that made it happen most that's a fair so, point I, I hear i hear you um i guess yeah. i was just looking at it from from the how perspective how i say that with a little bit of my pittsburgh accent comes out <laughs> Wow. Yeah, but I'm just like um, yeah, that would have been I know maybe we have him on for another little just 20 minute podcast and we ask just that question. I think they would love to come back on and the 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 uh Charles he's I guess one of the the founders and then uh the Mike Mike Costello came on with him. He has his own podcast too which I started listening to and it's it's really good if it's very oh. informative if oh good it's I think it's unlike ours <laughs> no <laughs> where's just people spouting their opinions <laughs> no but he he's um it seems like it's sent it's focused out of California because that's where he is and that's where a lot of the issues that they they talk about come from so that makes sense but yeah yeah i just don't i i guess at the end of the day my whole thing is i don't see how you can profess to be have a a deep concern for the future of hunting because of the antis but then also be supportive of putting dead and dying animal content out which yeah. does nothing nothing positive in every instance it's either neutral to your hunting or detrimental to your hunting yeah 
Well, my guess is that they would come back on and talk about that. Yeah, if you ever want to do it, I would love to sit in. You know, if you want to reach back out. I yeah, those are they're the they're good guys, and like I said, we both say it and we'll say it again. I I support what they're doing. I think it's great. They I, reached out on our Instagram and said that they'd be willing to come back on. Like there was, they were commenting on somebody's comment about something we posted and they said we'd love to come we were on already with jim we'd love to come back on so i think yeah they would. uh but i don't know it'd be a short podcast unless there were some other things that we wanted to talk about but that's my question to them well we'll get them back that on. i that i would have fully expected you would have asked yeah i fell short i fell short <laughs> i don't have the uh the uh kahunas like you do <laughs> no honestly in full disclosure it did not it it just i know i i'm i'm just i'm just I, breaking your i'm just breaking your balls which is a weird thing to say i'm just breaking your balls could there be anything worse that you could do to somebody <laughs> well they were it's they, like you know like people used to say back in the day they'd say like oh just, i'm just fucking with you just fucking with you like that was gonna that was supposed to be disarming yeah like what how does that al- al- allow me to feel more at ease to know that you're with fucking you. with me? <laughs> <laughs> just busting your balls. Um. Okay. Uh, if there's yeah. nothing else, I'm going to carry on. But yeah, thanks, so thanks for doing that interview, and I I enjoyed it, and I wish those guys all the success. Yeah, well, we'll get them back on, and I hope the rest of you guys enjoy the episode as well. Peace out. Peace. This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. All right. Well, we're here with the folks from How for Wildlife. Charles Whitwam. Whitwam, is that how you pronounce it? Whitwam. Whitwam and uh, Mike Costello. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us on. And there, there is one other guy sort of officially with Hal, John Stallone. Um, and Mike and I were honestly just talking within the last hour, and we were sort of talking about a lot of these issues. And I was like, hey, I have a podcast. It's it's with uh, Matt Ranello's podcast, like in an, in an hour or something. And Mike was like, oh, really? And I'm like, yeah, maybe you should be on. Mike is really... Um, I think he can spell some of these things out better than I can. So that's why I wanted to really have You're generous. You're very generous. Thank you. <laughs> I wanted to have him on. He's, he's, he's a great voice and can, uh, my mind sort of goes wild sometimes and he can focus that a little bit. So yeah, I, I, I appreciate you guys on. coming on short notice. It's uh January 2nd, uh, one last day of uh holiday break and some football games on today, but what a, what a, what a good day to podcast, you know, just sitting around lounging. Yep. So welcome guys. Thank you. It's always a good time to capture the the conversations in our head. Like I, I, uh, I have all these great conversations in my head. I'm like, ah, I should have written some of that down or captured it somehow. So this is good. <laughs> glad that, glad that we're, we had the opportunity to do this and, and hopefully a few people will listen and say, Oh, that's, those are interesting ideas. Yeah. So why don't you guys, 
tell us uh, about yourselves, what you do for how, um, and give us the rundown because you're a relatively new uh, organization. So, you know, give us give us the um, give us the rundown. Yeah, so I started working on building Howl in January of 2021, sort of officially. And um, January 11th, 2022, so not even a year ago, is when John Stallone and I launched Howl for Wildlife officially. Um, so it was an actual company, and it was in process of getting a 501c3. All that's been completed now. But I am the I'm the founder and president of uh of how for wildlife. And then, um, but what I do, you know, I own a private business. I live in California and I've been a hunter all of my life. I grew up in Michigan for 20 some odd years and, uh, hunting's just been always a part of me and super important to it's, it's my, it's my thing. You know what I mean? Like other hunters, it's, I love it the most. It's what I think about the most. And when there's issues, I see hunting being taken away from anti-hunters and I think they're doing a very good job at it. And what I don't see is hunters being involved in that battle. So that's why simply, you know, kind of boiled down how for wildlife exists is to give the normal Joe hunter, the tools that are usually sort of reserved for the orgs, the, the hunting orgs and all that give the individuals those same tools to get involved in the fight. So we're taking it from sort of a different angle. Gotcha. Yeah, I'd imagine on ground you're 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 in the front lines in California. Yeah, uh, yeah. many many states. Yeah, California, Washington being the worst state, uh, yeah. I think. But yeah, yeah California is definitely front lines. <laughs> Mike, how about you? Uh, yeah, I'm here in California as well. Um, haven't been hunting all my life. Started in 2017 hunting. Uh, as a kid, I did a lot of backcountry fly fishing and and backpacking. And so I, I I was introduced to doing hard things in the mountains, you know, to pursue nine ounce, uh, you know, golden trout and whatnot. Um, but I never really, I, I think I carried a gun in the woods one time with my dad when I was about 12 years old. And that was our deer hunt. Um, but I got into hunting, but I always want, had wanted to, you know, outdoor life, field and stream for life, you know, growing up. And so I never got to kind of flex those muscles. And so in 2017, I decided it was too long. I, I, I deferred too long. And so it was just time to get into it. Um, so I'm still a relatively new hunter. Um, but I started paying attention to you know, Facebook forums and conversations that hunters have. And I just saw a lot of people that were angry about old losses, like when we lost town hunting in California, mountain lion hunting. And so immediately saw there's, there's like a, there's an internal dialogue about, in our community about, you know, how we're always up against this anti-hunting movement and sentiment. Um, and it kind of clicked with me and Charlie, Charlie left out like the, 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 I think the biggest like seed, the acorn that has grown into the oak, which was around the bear hunting the attack on bear hunting in California in twice now in early 2021, 22, where the hunting community actually came together in California with, with a voice um, that hadn't happened ever uh, that I, that, that many people 
recall it had never really come together with a voice with social media with advocacy and we were able to to really t- to have um i wouldn't say their wins because we were protecting status quo but we protected status quo and um and charlie was incredibly involved in in the the first win um just with a good old you know change out petition and that kind of and then last year i um I decided I wanted to challenge my own imposter syndrome, <laughs> as you mentioned yeah. a few minutes ago, about like getting into the the, the conversation and create a, a website and podcast myself, um, Honey and Easy. But the the goal was really about advocacy, and I wanted to bring I wanted to bring individual hunters because we had these two wins where. We had, where we had the one win where we initially beat the legislation back uh, that was going to ban bear hunting. Um, I wanted to f- introduce people to the fact that that we can come together as a community. We can speak. We can show up, and um, and we can have a voice that that you know not only protects status quo but maybe even starts to advance pro hunting issues. And that's not always taking more animals. Sometimes it's public land. Sometimes it's actually modifying tag structures. So there's fewer tags, but doing things, getting getting the hunting voice back into the lead role for conservation and hunting rights dialogue. Um, and so naturally, last year Charles and I came together, and since then I've I've helped write some of the the action items and um, hold. Some of this worked really nicely is is holding like pre-fishing game commission meeting, like uh, just how-to sessions. Like let's get a bu- let's get twenty people together on a Zoom call just like this, and and uh, and talk about what's on the agenda and talk about what we can and should say. Um, and then twenty of us show up to the fishing game commission meeting, uh, where usually it's just a single lobbyist. And then you know commissioners are like, wow, like the hunters are here. Like and they're speaking intelligently, yeah. you know, and they're smiling, and they're happy, and they're like they're like good people. They're not angry about anything. They're not bitter, you know. And and so it's been really refreshing. We're here in California, where we do have a we have a track record for losing, and we have a track record for attacks on hunting. Um, and maybe it's just the current commission that we've got and the current uh, environments evolve positively. But but the commissioners love having us there. They really like having hunters show up and speak about our value system, um, and and hearing what we've got to say. And so that's where I think advocacy at the grassroots level is an integral component of what's needed um, for all of us. Do you guys feel like that's like the first step in in just that? It's not that hunters don't want to help out. It's just we just don't know what's going on. We're 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 in our own lanes. We're in our own lives. We have nine to fives. We have kids and you don't know what you don't know. But like you said, with just a little bit of reaching out and communication, you got 20 people. Do you think that's, that's, that's the first step in, in the fight against the uh, antis? A hundred percent. I think it's it, critical. Yeah. The antis, what we see is the anti hunters showing up. We see they're spearheading everything and hunters, you know, back to when California lost hound hunting, what I've been told, this was 2013. um, What I've been told is, you know, there'd be five hunters that would show up 
and there was, you know, hundreds of humane society uh, advocates or whatnot um, that would show up to a Capitol building or to a meeting or whatever else. And, and it's, we're just sitting around going, well, there's 82 million sportsmen. It's not like the people aren't there, but why aren't they there? Do they know about it to be there? Are they just uncomfortable to be there? What's the story? What's going on here? So our mission is just, all right, there's enough people out there. There's enough hunters out there. Let's use what we have and get them to show up and then help them feel comfortable. But so they know what to say and they know the process. Um, so they're more educated on what's going on. So, and on, and, and honestly, nobody really knows about us yet. I mean, we've grown our Instagram account to, I don't know, I think it's over 11,000 now or, or whatnot. And the, the, we we've started literally on social media and it's, you know, of course grown to, you know, a lot of email contacts and whatnot, but what we've done in less than a year is we've had over 110,000 uh, submissions on our action items. So we've had like, I think it was 38 action items over the last year. So we had 110,000 submissions on those. And the way we set up our actions is very unique. It's very personal. Um, personal, what I mean is when the decision maker on the other side, so a legislator or a governor or a county commissioner or any any type of anybody who's involved, the decision maker, um, the way we have it set up is when there's an issue and if there's 12 people that need to be contacted, when you push that button, you're contacting all 12 of those people. And then when the next person comes and takes action, they're contacting all 12 of those people. But what's different is there's a different message being sent out every time. So it's not a canned message. It's not the same message over and over. It doesn't mention Howl anywhere whatsoever. It's just, you know, Jim, whatever your email address is. It's your message. <laughs> your your message. You're sending it to those, to those people. Um, the subject line is different as well. So you can't, their, their staff can't filter them. And, you can write your own message. So we're taking the barrier away from, well, who do I reach? Right. So we're taking care of that and you can write your own message or you can use our messages that we have preloaded. So each time somebody comes, they see a different message. You can add it, add on to that, edit it, or again, erase it and write your own. Um, and that's, we do a lot more. We have the same kind of thing set up for Twitter and actually for faxing, if you want to fax, um, and also for, for uh, call campaigns as well. But you just click a button and it connects you to all the right people. And if you are calling, you get a call prompt in front of you with different things that you can say. So it just, it's kind of the easy button for if you want to take, you know, 10 minutes out of your day. And that's, that's 10 minutes if you're using all the actions. So tweet and fax and calling and email, but if you're just doing the email thing, it's honestly five seconds. So we've created the, the easy button for that five seconds of your day. And then we go beyond that for the people like Mike um, and a number of other people who want to get involved with say public testimony or becoming more of an activist, like a hunter activist. Um, if you want to come to a commission meeting or whatnot, um, we will set up meetings to basically explain what's going on. And the result of that in the last year has been I don't know, a few thousand people have been involved in commission meetings now, either in person or virtually. So they're, they're actually speaking 
on behalf of the community, on behalf of themselves, giving their story, giving their personal story. Um, and we're really trying to focus on also, you know, are we missing anybody from this storytelling? Are there, um, are, 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 are black hunters showing up Are you know, tribal communities showing up? So we're focusing on that too. So we're trying to make this much more diverse and, and also sort of put the anti-hunters on their heels because they will say things like, Hey, you know, this whole hunting issue, you're basically just representing, you know, a bunch of hillbilly white dudes <laughs> and yeah. you know, 1% of, you know, the state hunts. So why are we kowtowing to them? I'm like, well, hold on a second. There's a lot of hunters out there that don't look so like a, that. Yeah, there's a diverse <laughs> yeah. range of hunters, yeah. and and maybe we haven't done a good job. I don't know what the problem is. I don't really care what the problem is. My solution is just, well, I know these hunters exist. Let's get them to the forefront, and let's hear their stories. And I really think that's going to put the anti-hunters kind of on their heels, because I don't think they're expecting it, and I also don't think they know that that exists. Um, I don't think the non-hunting public really actually knows that that exists. Because to 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 a lot of your it. podcast, uh, I think what you talk about, you know, if your only exposure to hunting is you turn on the TV and you see a hunting show, um, you're probably not going to get that diversity. You're not even going to get the diversity from me. It doesn't even represent how I hunt, really. You know what I mean? And yeah, I, I don't care. I have no problem with those shows. I get it. Yeah, I get why they happen. Um, I get also why uh, how I hunt. Um, can't really be televised because it's it'd be hard to tell it'd be hard to film it you know it's just the it's a different kind of a hunt it's not controlled you know um but i don't i don't personally care about that but our goal is is really not to have any more hunters because we have enough to i think have a an, an amazing voice the hunting industry is a multi-billion dollar industry so the money is there um our ultimate goal is to actually change the minds of the non-hunting public and actually start messaging and reaching out to them and yeah. doing kind of what PETA does or the Humane Society. They're not afraid to have commercials on national TV or Super Bowls or whatever. Well, if if hunting is conservation and if there is success stories and if hunting, and Mike can really get at this, if hunting is human, if it's an intrinsic value to us, then we have an amazing story to give. And why are we afraid to give those stories to the non-hunting public? Not for them to become hunters, but for them to say, well, I never thought about that. Or or have, you know, a group of black hunters in, in giving their story. And, you know, where possibly some generations of their ancestors, hunting's been skipped, but hunting was a huge part of their history. And now they're awesome. Or hunting was skipped because it wasn't allowed. Yeah. And here we are again, where there's very small segments of, a, 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 you know, the enlightened community, progressive enlightened community, that's like, oh, you're not allowed to hunt. It's like, wait a second. Like, this is, where, when, when, have, when in other times in world history have small segments of a community known so well, known so much better to go into other communities and tell them that they're not allowed to do this activity. Like there's some really good examples of that worldwide and none of them are good. None of them are, they're, they're, they're examples. None of them are quality moments in human history. 
Well, and just from listening to you guys and your podcasts and your social media stuff, I, I gathered that, and you just confirmed it, that you you don't think we need more more hunters, but we just need more engagement from existing hunters. Well, I, like to win agree. the dialogue, yeah. to win the dialogue about is hunting, like to, to keep hunting active and, and to keep hunting access as an opportunity to keep it legal and whatnot. I don't think we do need more hunters. If we get more hunters, I mean, I think... I think it's great. I think hunting, um, even with, you know, success rates of like five to 10% on a good year in California, it's still a good activity. Like it's still good for the human psyche to get out and do what it takes to hunt, you know, from, so at a a human level, uh, more people hunting versus more people, you know, sitting behind a video game. It's probably good, um, to win this dialogue. We don't need more. We don't need more hunters to win the dialogue. We need we need more people to know that the neighbor next door, that the colleague that sits two desks over, hunts. We we need more. We we need not be muting ourselves to not like to uh, out of fear that somebody will be upset that oh th- like they'll see us differently. Um, we need to be forthright and let let people know hey yeah i hunt i got scout a hike trying to find something to kill i didn't succeed it was hard you know we we need more people to to see and then relate so then when that anti-hunting bill comes up or that 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 regulation that's going to carve out some activity and make it no longer allowed they don't see it as like oh no big deal i don't know anybody that does that i say oh I've got this friend down the street that bear hunts every year and they bring me meat and they share it with me. And that's a value. I don't bear hunt, but they do. And I know that person. I like that person. So I'm not going to take it away from them. Um, we've got to get more non-hunters to be, you know, and that's where I say we need to reclaim the dialogue. We need to reclaim and, and become the lead voice in what hunting is because in the last 20, 30 years, others have defined it for the non-hunters and now they control or they're, you know, that now they're very influential in what happens. Yeah. We got to stop being the boogeyman. We're not, we're not any different than anybody else, you know? I mean, yeah. and, it's, and especially intellectually, if, if you go to the store and buy meat or you get meat in any other way. And if I go out into the woods and find meat, that's boiled down. That's the difference. I'm still getting meat. So, you know, yeah. but there's sort of this boogeyman complex about, how we're doing it or what we're doing or is the animal suffering? I don't know. There's all these things that I think we can, we can confront. Um, and, but we just don't, I, I don't think we do it in the right way. We confront it in an echo chamber. You know, we talk to ourselves all the time. Hunters mm-hmm. love going back and forth or arguing or whatever. That's great. And we have great messages sometimes, but they don't get outside of the bubble. So let's take those awesome messages and get outside of this bubble and don't be afraid of it because i really think people will um not everybody but you know just like with PETA, they'll show a pretty radical commercial on tv and probably most people think that's pretty radical but they'll get a couple people you know i don't think our message is that radical i think we'll get more than a couple people again not to become hunters just to say well shoot that's a that's a different angle on hunting i've, I've never thought of before i didn't I didn't know anything about that. You know, I didn't know anything about the, the money that goes into hunting or the, the rebounding of certain species or, 
or even what we do with meat. I mean, for crying out loud, there's, there's hunters who are surprised that I can eat bear meat or, or even wild pig. And I'm like, man, it's, it's, it's might be my favorite meat. There's still even hunters who don't think you can eat that. Um, So there's a lot of education to, there's a lot of room for education here for sure. I I think when you could have, like you, you said, Mike, a non-confrontational articulate conversation, like an intimate conversation about it and people can see um, the thought and planning and what it means to hunters they're more accepting of it. And I've had many conversations uh, with my family that doesn't necessarily hunt where I've able to, I've able, I've been able to sort of bring them to, yeah, this is, this is actually a good thing. Mm -hmm. It's it's those conversations that win the majority of the middle that are neither against or for hunting, but we can bring them over to be for hunting. Yeah. Charles, when Charles and I were talking earlier today, so the yesterday I went out on a long day of driving and hiking and kind of a scouting trip. And of course, while I'm driving, I listen to podcasts. And so then my mind's going on all the stuff that I want to talk about or, or what I'm thinking, you know, what, what, what I want to jump off into next. Um, but one of the top, one of the podcasts was about talking about the Washington commission issue and how Washington politics are so driven by you know just two or three counties like the the voting population in washington state is primarily in a very very small geographic area and they dictate so much of policy statewide and obviously you you look at you look at a voting map nationwide it's like that you know la san francisco portland seattle new york new Jersey. you know it's just it's but what's happening in washington is very unique with that regard let's get into that thing is is, well just just that yeah, but what I what I was thinking about it was like most people in those urban centers, you could say two things. You could say they don't know any hunters. Or more likely, they don't know that they know hunters. Hmm. And they and if they knew that they knew somebody that was a hunter, they would probably process the dialogue from those that would take hunting off the landscape differently. If they knew that the, that the woman three seats over or three, three cubicles over in their office went out duck hunting or went elk hunting with their family, her family every year, or, you know, fishing, you know, if, if they knew somebody that was in that light, it was an active uh, participant in hunting, they would probably be less, and they like that person. Oh yeah, that's, you know, Susie's great. Like, she's a great coworker, and she hunts. Oh my gosh, this thing's coming down the line. They're anti-hunting. I don't want to be anti-Susie. So, but they don't and know Susie's that they a good know person. So hunting yeah, might not be as bad as I think it is. Right? Maybe hunting's not so bad. And so, in Seattle, to pick on Washington, too many people don't know that they know a hunter. Right. So do you guys want to give a rundown of some of the hot topics, Washington bear hunting being one of them? <laughs> well, that's, that's definitely, that is yeah. definitely one of them. <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. So that, well, so where my mind goes on that, Washington bear hunting is a huge one. Then the next step down, I think, you know, apparently elk in the blue, in the blue mountains are 
the elk herds being um, depleted significantly. Um, and so one of our concerns is when they take away predator hunting, the, you know, the, the long game is take away the predator hunting, then the prey species are depleted, and then they start taking away the prey species hunting. Right. And so tag, tag allocations are, are look, you know, are, are expected to follow in, 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 at least in the blue mountains. And so that's an issue. Um, but the other thing that comes to mind is this decision by the commission there to eliminate recreational bear hunting. And, and that's where, you know, so, so then it has to be, it has to have a management purpose. And to me, part of it's just like, it's semantics, but cause, cause the department can come back with, here's our proposed, here's our, here's our proposed management hunt structure. Okay. It may be the same structure as what it, what, what it was before. They just taken the recreational word out of it. But my issue is that hunting should not have to be recreational or management. Hunting is an intrinsic human value that's okay. It contributes to conservation, but it is also reciprocally, it needs conservation to be successful. And so I want to get us out of this box of, of justifying hunting because it's conservation or because it's wildlife management or because it's any of these things. I think we should be able to justify hunting as a human activity that's intrinsically normal to human humans for the last, you know, X thousands of years since the beginning of time. Um, and so, yeah, we need to manage, we can't go back to market, but hunting should be regulated so we don't deplete the resource, but it should also be allowed anytime that the resource is there. And so, um, and I think that's selfish. Like it sounds selfish. I, I should be allowed to hunt because I want to. It's an incredibly selfish statement, but it's also, it's, it's, it's true to human history. Um, except for where power structures told people they couldn't, uh, and took them off the land and told them they couldn't hunt. And so hunting still happened. It was just the King's deer. Right. So, yeah. So hunting yeah. actually, yeah. Royal, royalty, monarchs yeah. and warlords and, yeah. and those that, those that had power hunted. <laughs> so like, unless we're going to go back to those days of where like a small segment, you know, of, of those with the power get to do this, then I think individuals should be allowed to hunt as a, you know, bring it down to like, is this is like a, a basic human right. Yes. When not to deplete the resource. Yes. Regulated. But the opportunity should be there. That's one of the core foundations of this hunt quietly movement to keep yeah. non-pay, publicly accessible hunting available to everyone. Yeah. So, so in the case of Washington, so their spring season, their spring bear season was eliminated. What in twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one? Twenty 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 two. This past yeah. this past year, um, it, okay, it, it came I thought they up. They revoted on it again. Did they revisit it, or or am I thinking of something else? So, I'm not sure. But here in 2021, late 21, 2021, the issue kind of came up. Um, but they have to they they do rulemaking every year. So the commission meets and they say, all right, what's our 2023 or sorry 2022 bear season going to be? And for the first time in I don't know. I think since the eighties or something or, or whenever it was maybe in the seventies, um, 
they voted and it was it basically came to a tie vote where it was so many commissioners were for it and so many were against it but at the time it was we just need more science and it's not that we're against it we just need more science so the department you can say that came, forever though you can say i want more yeah. science until <laughs> it's, 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 this is definitely a tactic of of groups like the humane society we see this exact same language in many states but the department came in they gave the science they give presentations they said yeah our you know our bear numbers are growing uh, it can certainly sustain a spring season um and it just went on and on and on and on and then on november 18th they had a vote so it went on and on and on and they never had a vote to to um basically kind of by default the 2022 season just never happened and they needed all this time to just come up with what is our plan? What is our rulemaking? What's our criteria? Well, this word that Mike brought up, recreational, became all of a sudden a hot button word, even though that word is on the tags and it's in, you it's know, in their charter. It's in their charter. Yeah. The commission's charter is to maximize recreational fishing and hunting opportunities. Um, but this became a crazy word and it was it was wild to watch these people go back and forth for hours over what the meaning of this word was. And it, they basically said, well, well, if it was, if we had spring bear, you know, if, 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 if there was a management reason to have a spring bear season, then I think we'd be for it. But this word recreational is just really throwing us off. I mean, it's been there forever. Right. And, and and like, it's to it differentiate was, against commercial as in market hunting. Like that's, right. did they, did anybody, cause I didn't ah. see the, I, I've, I've heard the excerpts to, to have an idea, but did anybody yeah. call that out? Like the reason they used recreational is because it is, is the antithesis to commercialized market hunting. It was such a shock to even the commissioners there who, who, who do have, you know, kind of a, a sound uh, head on their shoulders. It was such a shock, I think, to everybody that this was going on. Just took the air out of the room. And yeah, it was like, wait a second. Like it was, it was almost too much ignorance to even process. Like it just made your brain hurt. <laughs> so, so they voted to essentially end recreational spring bear hunting. However, there is another petition filed by actually one of our members, um, and it's it's quite in depth to have a spring bear hunting under the guise of management reasons. So um, we're going to hold their feet to the fire. And right. for those, for those maybe two commissioners who did sort of say, if there's a management reason, they would be all for it. Um, they're kind of a swing vote on this. So hopefully we can get it back and we have to really concentrate on showing the management reason, which I think is a great opportunity. Like, okay, let's do that. Let's play this game. But then, you know, maybe the guy, what would be great is if somebody on the street came up to you and said, hey, uh, explain why we need bear hunting for a management tool. So this is a great opportunity to educate people on why bear hunting is needed for management. Um, sure. So we'll see. You know, I'm just kind of looking at it with you know, in a positive note. But for now, uh, spring bear season in Washington is is gone. And, you know, it, this isn't just spring bear. It's, it always starts with predators. So whatever kind of a bear 
um, you know, mountain lions, bobcats, whatever, as Mike was saying, they start with predators because that's the low hanging fruit that people understand the least about. And I think even hunters, there's a lot of hunters that don't mm-hmm. hunt predators for whatever reason. Um, so it gets the least amount of eyebrows raised or, ah, I don't hunt that. I'm just an elk hunter or I'm just a turkey hunter mm-hmm. who cares about predators. Well, if you're a turkey hunter, you should really be if concerned about If you're a turkey hunter, predators. you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it, right. Turkey yeah. numbers are low. Yeah. But pheasant, it's understanding that. It's connecting you're a pheasant hunter. Yeah. If you're a pheasant hunter, you care about uh, coyotes and bobcats. That's for sure. So Mike brought up the Blue Mountain Elk Herd, which uh, the majority of, of that is in, is in Washington. Um, that elk herd, oh gosh, I think it's... I think 75% of its calves were wiped out due to predation. Um, I think it was 75%, something crazy like that, but most of it was due to mountain lion. And then black bear was, was number two. Yeah. And then all the rest of the, uh, you know, the predators underneath of that. So, you know, and they have limited methods of take, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard to hunt lion on your foot, you know, boot hunting lion, same thing with bear. Um, and you know, that's another conversation because some people are, well, hound hunting isn't fair or whatever else and blah, 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 blah. Well, what it is, is it's effective. And it also actually, I think might be the most sustainable way to hunt a lion or a bear. You tree it, you can tell the sex of it. You can, you can tell quickly if it has cubs, if it's lactating, if on down the line you're you're yeah. literally it's it's kind of like catch and release hunting and it's mostly release i mean it's mostly actually release hound hunters yeah. let go let 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 go for another chase yeah way more animals than they kill in pennsylvania where i'm where i am it's a prime example of our, our bear season our, our our bear numbers are growing uh we have a rifle season and, and a bow season uh no baiting but when you do a, a deer or a, a bear drive, people shoot cubs and and sows with cubs all the time. Yeah, and I I lived in Alaska for about seven years, bear baited for five years, and I don't think there's a better way to, like you said, identify a bear than than baiting or 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 treeing it. So whether you're yep. pro uh, baiting or not. It's still hard to argue that when you're when you're hunting over a bait, you can clearly see what you're shooting at and you have time to identify it. Yeah. Yep. And that's well, where it's, connect, it's connecting all the dots, between, you know, how it's, it's sort of a domino effect. And um, I mean, even for me personally, I a lot of these issues I was never involved in before because I just never had the opportunity. So. I'm doing mostly learning than anything, you know, my, my, uh, the thing that I knew, the gap that I saw was, holy crap, hunters just aren't involved and we're being outworked here. And the, the, the numbers are there and the money is there, but it's not being all used in the right places. Um, that's where I, I said, all right, I know I can get people engaged in this battle. Yeah. Everything else, you know, we rely on biologists and we rely on the in-state, you know, the boots on the ground kind of state orgs um, people like Mike who really 
he dives into these issues and understands them. And, you know, and I think a lot of his, you know, background with what he does, you know, as, as his day-to-day job, um, it just, he breaks it down, you know? So for us and for me, it's like, I just want to develop a team and bring a team together of the right people who um, can kind of just check all these boxes, you know? And, um, but at the end of the day, it's, I'm really not happy until we have a million actually engaged, active hunter activists involved in, in state, state by state issues. And and that's That's another thing I've heard you talk about is getting people to care about issues across state lines, not just in my backyard. So you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of different angles here. So um, wildlife itself knows no boundaries, right? So the the uh, the grizzly bear issue that's going on in Montana right now, um, I've already had Canadians uh, speak to me and say, right on, because, you know, what happens there can happen here. You know, things work in trends, you know, and also those grizzly bear, they don't know the border. <laughs> they cross the borders, you know, back and forth. We as hunters, we hunt out of state a lot right so if you are in pennsylvania but if you ever come and hunt whatever out west well you're spending your money in such and such state for that so that's another reason why you should be concerned um but i tend to look at it from the what the anti-hunters do the anti-hunters will you know start in say washington state or start in california or, or even arizona and they'll try to get something passed here. And when they're successful with that, they'll move to New Jersey and they'll move to New York and they'll move to. So they're working across state lines is what I'm saying. Or and, they just take their donations from those yeah. metropolitan areas and then they go to work wherever they want. You know, they take yep. their they take their funding out of those major metropolitan areas and then they go attack, you know, whatever it is that they want to light up, whatever they want to get involved in. So the way I look at it is if you see, if you're in Alabama and you see something going on in California, um, that should be your battle because eventually if we continue on this trend of just not being involved, you will be fighting that at your doorstep one day. So fight it when it's over here, right? Let's win it when it's here instead of waiting till it gets to you. So, and that's the other thing is our, our actions for the most part, definitely well over 90%. It does not matter what state you live in and the action or the uh, decision maker on the other end, they don't know what state you live in either. So there's, we got a lot of things set up. They basically just see your name and your email address. So unless their staffers want to get back to, uh, well, the other stat I left out is through all of our actions in the last year, um, we have sent out over 965,000 emails alerts or not email emails tweets calls whatever you name it everything through our action center to decision okay. makers. so over nine hundred and sixty-five thousand, which was which was pretty huge so unless they want to go through that and filter that and get back to you and say hey where do you live they don't know um and what they are what they are seeing and saying which is what really makes me happy it's because it's it's testimony that this works is we have, you know, countless commissions and Mike was hitting on this countless commissions and legislators and entire 
House bodies. When they, you know, when something's coming up for a vote and the speaker comes up and says their thing, they're they're making jokes about where'd all these hunters come from? <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, your guys's email boxes get full like mine. Like, holy cow! Like this really shows. I was just watching one the other day in Georgia. The guy was like, "This just really shows how much hunters really care about what it is that they do." And we've never been reached out to like this. And again, they don't—they have no idea how for wildlife is involved. No, and that's great. I, I don't want them to really. I don't—I could care less about that. Um, but they do know the anti-hunting orgs are involved. But they and they're used that. to that. Like they're used yeah. to—they know, and that's why, like in California, they're like, "Oh my gosh, the hunters are here," because they're used to getting those. Yeah, those the they're used to getting that other dialogue a lot. Um, but I I want to call out like one thing that Howell's doing when you talk about decision makers and the action center that I think is is a is a hugely differentiating feature is that a lot of people say oh you know contact your elected contact your representative. Okay, so I have we have a a wildlife management issue or a hunting rights issue happening. Say here it's here in California. It could be a ballot box issue. It could be legislative with electeds. It could be, um, or it could be at the commission. And then there's also the Department of Fish and Wildlife. And a lot of people take it out, take out their frustration of whatever the rule is on the department. And the department is the last one in line in involved in terms of being involved in making that rule. They just enforce it. So we're always angry at the department. Oh, CDFW is like, they're terrible at managing wildlife. Like they're just doing what, what that basket of regulations we've given them and tools yeah. we've given them. We, they, they got the money we've given them and they've got the guardrails to work within that we've given them. That's all they can do. It's so like we police can't, enforcing the laws. Yeah. We can't be mad at the department. The department's our best ally to have good conversations and and get get good science and and to support them even when we're having our worst day together like we've got to support the department and then the other thing is like is it electeds well if it's electeds is it in committee are there seven committee members that are looking at this and and maybe we can kill it in committee if it's in committee emailing the 120 other electeds doesn't do any good like you got to focus on those seven that are sitting with the with the issue and if it's at the if it's at the commission level it doesn't do any good to email the electeds. And so like you got to like knowing who this is going to and, and thankfully most states have a commission structure where most regulations with wildlife are, are made. And that's good and bad. Like Washington's got a commission that we're all very, you know, not so satisfied with right now. But the, the, the good thing is, is the commissions do turn over. There's risk in that. You could lose a good commission and it could evolve, evolve into a bad commission. But commissions turn over, and decisions they make are two-way doors. Usually a decision that a commission makes can be undone a lot easier than a law and and infinitely more e easily than a ballot box initiative. And so, like, whether we're happy with the commission today or not, that is our playing field. Like, that is our, that is our arena to be good. And that's, that is, and, and so when like, you know, a bunch of hunters are in a Facebook group bitching about like what's going on, it's like, take those seven minutes of like chatter in Facebook and contact your commission, like yeah. communicate with your commission and tell them how you feel so that they know that you exist. Um, and so we have to know what arena these decisions get made in. And we can't, I, I, I was 
I, I use the, the metaphor, like we can't, just because we don't like how the last game went, we can't sit in the parking lot drinking beers and barbecuing, bitching about the refs without and not going to the field. Like we have to be in the arena. We have to be on the field. Doesn't matter. Maybe the refs are terrible. We still have to be there. Like we'll never move the ball if we're not actually in the arena and if we're not in the right arena doing our best. And so we can't, you know, we can't complain just because it didn't go our way the last time we had the ball. We have to be there um, focusing our attention on the game. Otherwise, we will lose the next one. Guaranteed. What what are the the other the other states and topics that are like hot and heavy right now that we all should know about and care about? Because I remember uh, having a conversation with a guy about the New Mexico uh, trapping ban and they were actually proposing a, a law that would not allow anyone under the age of 18 to touch a firearm or use a firearm. And um, so I, I know there's like insane stuff being proposed out there that a lot of people just don't know about. So can we talk about some of those that? Yeah. Well, in uh, in a month, that would be a better question. I'll tell you why, because this is a new year. And so bill season is just starting within, it's going to start within the next week. So we do have some bills that are not all bills, but bills or propositions or whatever um, that are carryovers from last year. Um, so they're not quite dead yet. Some of them probably are. Some of them uh, might, might kind of get uh, rehashed, but the latest one that we have right now that I think is really big, and I'm kind of surprised it hasn't got as much traction, and I'm not sure why. Maybe because it's a polarizing subject, but grizzly bear, mm-hmm. um, grizzly bears are are an, are an endangered species. They're currently listed as an endangered species. Um, basically, all federal and state biologists have concluded that they are well past the um you know the criteria that makes them endangered they're in fact five to six times that number so it's time to delist them federally celebrate celebrate recovery yeah it's a it's a great it's a yeah it's it's a a fantastic success accomplishment yeah um and then give the you know for montana they have this management plan they're the only state that actually has currently a a management plan that they're working on, but it's basically giving the wildlife back to the state to manage. Uh, hunting plays an extremely small role in that. Like if there is any hunting, it would maybe be 20 tags per year for, for grizzly bear, but it's just giving that, that power back to the state since they're not endangered anymore. That's, I think a huge issue, um, which also to me, I look at it, because it's one of these polarizing subjects is kind of like wolves, right. Mm-hmm. Um, or mountain lion or whatnot, but it's especially grizzly bear and wolves are, are up at the top. Um, if, if we can win this and hunters are involved, sportsmen are involved or even the non-hunting public who, who see the value in this, I think this carries over to other issues that we're going to face. You know, it also carries over even into Canada. 
where the, the, the provinces there that, that don't have grizzly bear hunting, but yet their grizzly bear numbers are skyrocketing, you know? So it's, it's kind of a popularity contest, you know, like if you're a politician and you're not feeling pressure from this group over here, but you are from here, you know, the, 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 the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? We're trying to be the squeakiest here. And, um, and I really think again, you know, it's, and I hear sort of the Mike's point again, there's a lot of hunters complaining and I've, and I've heard them say, Oh, we'll never win this because, you know, they have so much money or they have so many people. And that's not true. We, we've got the money too. again, multi-billion dollar industry here. And we have millions and millions and millions of sportsmen. If we have a small percentage of them actually engaged in these battles and, you know, being an activist and it, and it takes the hunting celebrities and all of these guys to, you know, uh, to challenge their followers and say, Hey, I'm going to take 10% out of my social media life here for promoting whatever I'm promoting and basically say, well, if we lose hunting, I'm not going to exist anymore because I live off of hunting. Right. And if we lose hunting, we're not going to even be able to fight back and forth anymore between private land and public. All that's going to be gone. Right. You know, so if Do you have any celebrities that are you're working with that, that are uh, their money well, where their mouth is. Charles, yeah, Aaron, Charles Aaron. is our celebrity. Aaron is very grassroots. <laughs> yeah. Aaron Snyder actually um, has been one of our largest supporters um, through Kefaru. And Aaron um, was just on the podcast with Matt. That's and that's the nice. podcast that I that I just listened to. Um, and and a lot of these guys, this is what's this is what's awesome. A lot of these guys, I have no partnerships with them. I never even had a conversation. They just saw how for wildlife, and they were like, "Oh wow, that's really awesome," and it's really easy. So, First Light, for instance, I've never had a conversation with First Light. They just started. Basically, if we have an action, they repost it, they share it, they get it out to all their followers, which is incredible. Um, Clay Newcomb, I I think maybe now I've spoken with him, but he just saw the value in it and he just started blowing it up on Meat Eater and 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 so did Giannis. Uh Giannis Petulis did. And I I was ended up being on a podcast with him. Um, but again, you guys were talking about the bighorn sheep habitat that's right yeah so um jason matzinger um i think he's in montana probably um yeah. yep gonna again, these are all, I, there's gonna be these are all these are all in out. the industry these are all like in the hunting community personalities there are hunters in the hollywood community that don't that keep it on a, on the dl like the, sure. uh, and, and i think that's where you know joe rogan's probably a good example of somebody that's yeah. very public very much a celebrity very mainstream and and doesn't mute the fact that he hunts doesn't doesn't hide that i was talking about the hunting celebrities i, yeah. I didn't know if you were asking about uh, yeah. <laughs> um yeah, we don't have we, joe rogan yet there's a fine line between like the hunting celebrities helping out and putting their money where their mouth is. And I think, I hope that as you guys grow, you get, I mean, if you're a hunting celebrity and you don't support uh how for wildlife, I mean, then, then you're, you're probably missing something. But I think if, if, if the, the powers that be put 
more effort into protecting wild places and protecting our rights versus putting content on for to get their keep their feed going i think we'd be in a better place you know whether you support hunting tv or not whether you follow hunting celebrities uh, we all we we all need to come together hey it's just the bottom line no you're 100 right and i wanted you know i don't want to leave anybody out because i just it's been um there's a lot of people that i'm that i'm leaving out i know the hush the hush crew not the not the hunters united for sunday hunting the the hush guys i don't know hushing hushing tv hushing hushing. yeah yeah yeah. they they stepped up and you know for our purposes i I just it's just awesome to see because you know we're not paying them i don't have any partnership with them at all it's just i think a testament to what we've come up with at howl that no matter who you are you see the value in what it is that we're doing and the, the ease of which we've we've made it so I've been really appreciative of that as far as the hunting celebrities go. Um, of course, yeah, I'd love to get to the the celebrities, I guess, Hollywood guys or whatever. Um, I know there's a few of them for sure that I do believe they know about us. Um, it's just a matter of time of, uh, you know, of them somehow promoting us, which I think yeah. would be great. A lot of that work is on us as well. You know, um, we can't expect them to do everything just because they're a celebrity. Yeah, you know, I don't believe in that either. You know, and and you guys, this is the second time. Well, you guys are on the podcast, but you were mentioned when I did the podcast for Hush Hunters United for Sunday Hunting uh, for a, a topic that's near and dear to my heart, with is, which is Sunday hunting in Pennsylvania. And those guys, uh, you helped those guys out on the Sunday hunting issue, and hopefully, we see yeah. that change completely. Yeah. So as far as hot topics, that's 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 going to be one of the reoccurring issues is pennsylvania um they want to be able to hunt on sunday i know south carolina does as well um virginia got theirs passed this previous year and we were involved in that i think we had it's somewhere in the in the realm of one hundred and fifty thousand uh emails were sent out just for virginia um and they've been wanting this those guys have been working on this i think since the 70s trying to be able to hunt on Sundays, which is wild to me. I, I don't, I didn't know that existed. And I, I grew up in Michigan. We could hunt whatever day we wanted, but all these States that are pretty close to Michigan, I didn't really know this was happening. Like you can't hunt on Sunday. I didn't know growing up in Pennsylvania. I didn't know anything else, but right. I, I was always like, it would literally double my hunting season. If I could hunt Saturday and Sunday. That's, yeah. a, that's such a huge that is such a huge point because most people can only hunt on the weekends. Right. So that would double your hunting season. Yeah, exactly. It's not seven days because you couldn't hunt seven days. You couldn't hunt Monday through Friday anyway. You right. Know, you got a Very job. People like have most that luxury. People. Yeah, exactly. So it actually doubles your, your hunting opportunity. Um, there's going to be more certainly more predator issues um in california we have a bear management plan coming up we have um actually some some pro hunting actually it's all kind of pro hunting mm-hmm. in california right now but we know there'll be some attacks um we're adding at least 112 elk tags to uh to california's elk hunting which is 25 to 30 percent increase increase and that's tags. based on that's based on the population data sure. which is 
which is at the low end. So I've yeah. actually, I didn't even tell you this, Mike, um, Bill just told me, he said the the commission said, we think we can expand that to more. No. That's great. Yeah. So what about um, line hunting in California? Is that just dead and gone or is that, is there still like, not yet. Not we, yet. It's, that's a ballot box issue, which is a, yeah. this is a whole different ball game. Um, now it's my understanding that the uh, fish and wildlife kill more problem lions in California now than when hunting was actually allowed. I believe that's true. Um, that's a, I think that, I think that's a slow, I think that's a good slogan. I think it's probably mostly true, but regardless of what the numbers, the department kills between 50, like 50 to a hundred, some years more than a hundred cats a year lions. I mean, just wow. assume it's a hundred. Like if we had a management quota of a hundred a year, uh, that could be, that could be a draw. But I mean, if it's if it's boot hunting, if we're all hunting on the ground, walking, then it would be like bears. They'd sell, they'd still sell ten thousand tags because we'd all buy one. Like we, you know, I've seen I've seen a mountain lion once in five years. I know they're there. They're right over my shoulder. I just can't see them. <laughs> they're here, you know. And so um, we'd all buy a tag. We, we it's ten thousand tags, fifty bucks a pop. There's five hundred thousand dollars. Boom, right there for 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 wildlife management. Um, yeah, blinds are still could dying. be a hundred. <laughs> and 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 what and the whole system would would be better off and lions that are being hunted would be more fearful of humans um i mean yeah but it's but it's a ballot box issue so this brings me to like i think for california to get like hound hunting back mountain lion hunting back wolf hunting at some point um bobcats coming up bobcats should come back yeah. uh and that's a that's a separate issue but like california and i think every state needs to have wildlife management and hunting as a tool for it and a right needs to be like a constitutional amendment for every state the decision in making for things that have to do with wildlife management should be position where it has to happen at the commission level constitutionally and at that point we can go into that arena we can have the fight we can we can lose some we can have the data show that five years ago was the wrong decision so now we need to reverse that decision but the fact that we've got these ballot box initiatives and we've got these which are totally you know emotionally you know cute cuddly pictures of of you know things that pull at your heartstrings so we've got ballot box as an opportunity. We've got legislative, you know, is making decisions, doing habitat man or wildlife management decisions. Those are not the right places for it. Like they're just not good places for sound management decisions to be made or to be unmade because the data changes. And so I would love to see, you know, at some point it'd be great in California if we could get to where you know, like I don't know what you title it as, but you know, California wildlife quality wildlife management constitutional amendment. <laughs> like, let's just say we're going to push this to where all the good the decisions can be made by the by the right body, and have that the the 
the subtitle, the small text would be, yes, this is going to turn over mountain lion band, hunting band. This is going to turn over all these bands at the same time. doesn't mean we get to hunt mountain lions. It means it gets to be decided by the commission. Um, but we've got it. Like, I don't know how we turn that stuff over, but I think it's doable. I just there have to convince some... 10 neighbors. I, I have to convince yeah. 10 of my neighbors. And all of us have to convince 10 of our neighbors that this is the right path. And then we go quota, vote. You, even if it's a quota where you meet your quota and the season shuts down. And starts, Absolutely. You'd still have, like you said, you still have 50,000 people putting in nationwide for that tag to be able to, oh, yeah. to at least try. Oh, yeah. So there are some initiatives uh, that are being worked on in various states for that. And um, it's going to kind of fall under the idea of right to food mm-hmm. um, to, to get hunting as a constitutional amendment um, on, on a state's constitution. We do have fishing in California on our constitution, but Oregon, I believe, is going to be working on that. But that's also because they're facing an initiative. It's called... Uh, IP3. It was changed. I think it's called IP3 now. But IP3 in Oregon, which is going to be a huge issue, um, it's going to be on the ballot box um, in 2023. 2023. It's uh, it's crazy. It's basically wild. is against <laughs> any type of use of animals, whether it's hunting or farming or animal husbandry or breeding or you name it banning all of that which would i mean it's insane but the way it's worded if you just read sort of the headlines mm-hmm. and you're just you know joe citizen out there oh that doesn't sound bad but in the details it's absolutely disastrous for economies for people's ways of life everything so it's, it's wackadoo it's total um, wackadoo stuff it's like and as things are like the headline of it Anybody would say, well, yeah, I'm not in favor of that. Like, are you in favor of like sexual abuse of, of cows? It's like, well, no, I'm not. But then the, the then the, the text of the things is, well, you can't have like artificial insemination and you can't force cows to breed. Like you, like all of a sudden, like artificial insemination or, 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 ca- you know, controlled breeding environment for livestock is now sexual abuse. It's like, oh, wow, we just... We just went a whole different direction than what I thought you were talking about that I voted for. Um, and it's like it's just cr- the, the most crazy stuff. And somehow this is the third go round in Oregon for this to be. W- then they missed the petition the first time they didn't get them signatures then they got it and then they lost and like they keep coming back. It's like, who are yeah. these people and who's writing the checks for them? Um, and for for your for this podcast purposes, one that I think would excite you is um, a no net loss um, to public lands. Um, so in Georgia, we worked on this last year, and um, basically Georgia passed a law that said whatever public land we have, it's going to stay that we cannot reduce our amount of public land within the next huge. twenty years or something. That's a great huge. one, yeah. Um, and that was sort of a it was because the kind of the expiration date came up and they, they voted on it again and said, yeah, let's do that again. So that, that is a huge one. Certainly because uh, public land is important for all of us to keep doing what we're doing. Of course. Um, the other big one, and it's not dead yet. Um, 
is the return act and Mm -hmm. it's it's authored by a republican out of georgia who is a really big two-way guy and he does not like it that pr funds Pittman robertson funds come from the sale of firearms he views that as a tax on firearms which is unconstitutional um so he wants to reallocate where that funding comes from so taking it away from sportsmen or shooters or anybody who buys firearms or archery equipment or you know everything that falls under Pittman Robertson and now have what PR currently funds come from offshore oil companies and there's a lot of problems with that um one is the way that that is set up so now the oil companies have you know x amount of dollars when this new you know whatever it's called but the funding we would need for pr um that's at the bottom of the totem pole so they get funds last so we're not sure if we'll get the proper amount we don't know how much that's going to be and then plus yeah. we're now entering into the realm of oil lobbyists and everything right. that goes on there. And that's going to be what we're not entirely rely on, but it's a lot of money that goes to PR that, that goes to each state. Right. Um, I'm a little worried about that. I'm also worried because it takes our seat away from the table that says, Hey, this is what we love and we're fine with paying it. We're fine with paying these taxes. Sure. We volunteered to pay it. That's why it's exists. Right. Yeah. So I I don't, is this a hot topic? Like, I just don't see a lot of gun owners and ammo buyers, like great, you know, severely upset that this excise tax exists and then, and then where it goes. I just like, this is seems like it's a non issue that, that this was like hatched. And then, like, to lean into like, oh, well, we'll just we'll just leverage the anti-oil, like, we'll, we'll just take the angst about oil and yeah. and grow, use that to 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 position this whole thing. And I just like, how did this even come up? Who hatched this? Who wrote so, this idea for this guy? Um, well, he believes it's a tax on firearms. And the interesting part is when asked. Okay, so when we go to buy a firearm, we're going to be paying 11% less now, right? No, because no. those prices are baked in. You know, yeah. when when Remington, when they make a firearm, it's it's been baked in forever, this 11%. But also, yeah. if we're talking about taxes and what we're paying, well, aren't they paying property taxes? And aren't they paying all these other taxes? And those are baked into the, to the cost of firearms. It's kind of a weird argument. Yeah, you know, should we just then be buying firearms at cost? <laughs> like, what? Are, there's no profit involved. You know, it's it. I don't know. It's, it's a really strange. But Mike, you asked if anybody cares about this. Um, yeah. So a lot of the non-hunting two A guys, they're on board with this because they're okay. just like, this is a damn tax, and and I get it. Like, I get that argument. I get that tax argument, but. We can't just, if we want to talk about what's constitutional and all that, we can't just leave that in the book. This is the wrong thing to pick on because this yeah. has been a successful program. Bittman Robertson has been pretty darn successful. 
so this is the wrong thing to pick on. Um, it's uh, well, especially without a solid solution. Like if you can't, it, if you can't replace a, the solution, then yeah, and it takes so much away from us if we don't have the seat at that table. And I don't, I don't, I'm not sure they're really entirely understanding that. Um, and there's 50. Well, there was 57 co-sponsors, Republicans co-sponsors, and I'll say it. I think we were responsible because we made by far the biggest noise on this. We were responsible for removing, um, I don't know how many it is now, maybe 10 of those co-sponsors have said, oh, <laughs> we didn't even know what was in this. Seriously, right. we didn't even know it was in this. This is the way politics works. Because the guy just comes along and says, hey, it's a it's a 2A bill. Well, sign my name on it. Sure. Right? They didn't know what was in it. Republican, my constituents will support this. Yeah. I'm going to be yeah. voting that way. And that happens, you know, when all parties, but, um, so I think 10 of them or, or so have taken their name off that. And, uh, but there's still 40 some left and honestly had November, um, had the Republicans taken over the way a lot of people thought they were, I'd be a lot more concerned about this. Hmm. Um, it's, and I'm hoping I'm, I'm hope. Yeah. Yeah, but that's that's a big one, and it's opened up an insane amount of debate. I've actually taken heat with Howell from people that I've never spoken with before, or anything. And they're so because we were rallying against this bill, which they agreed with, but we weren't getting involved in Second Amendment issues outright, you know, because because hey, I have all kinds of time to get into that. Also, <laughs> you know, the small world of two A. And I'm like, hold on, like, you guys, we're just like a couple guys here trying to, yeah. you know, inspire some change here. I've, I've put up tens of thousands of dollars of my own money to do this. I've never paid myself a cent. I've paid for all of this, you know, and I'm getting attacked from you guys for, I'm not involved in enough issues. I mean, it's just humans, you know what I mean? But anyway, it's, it's a, uh. It has sparked some debate, and I'm kind of worried that it's opened Pandora's box, and I'm wondering where this is this is going to go. Um, and what's scary about it is there's anti-hunting orgs that have heard about this bill, mm -hmm. and they're like, not a bad idea. This is a great idea to take this yeah. funding source away from it coming from sportsmen. And I'm no. just like, this isn't, this isn't good. I don't like this at all. I'm, I'm sure they're loving the fact that ammo's like, 70% higher than it was pre-COVID. Yeah. <laughs> but we still buy it because we have to. We're obsessed. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, the, the, they, they do. And that's one of the things I think is that's over the next five years or more, that will be an issue is how do, how does more funding come from general fund backpacker tax access fees to dilute our voice in conservation um it's been proposed before they, they don't they, want anything to do with it yeah and i'm, I'm sort of glad of that because i don't necessarily yeah. know that having them at the table would would be beneficial yeah no uh, as long as the funds from pr are enough to to keep going and doing what we're doing i'm i'm happy with that Yep. Especially again, if it keeps, if it keeps raising, um, breaking records, you know, 
Yeah. Uh, and it has been the last, uh, and that's been, that was one of Clyde's representative Andrew Clyde's arguments was he averaged out the amount, but 2020 was a record year. I think 2021 was also, we'll see what 2022, that they're probably going to be record years. And, you know, I, I don't see people slowing down their purchases of firearms anytime soon for a variety of reasons. We don't need to get into that, but I think it's going to keep going up and up and up. Um, We'll, we'll see where that goes, but it's, it's been a very successful program PR, I would argue. So you mentioned you guys are doing this as, as like, this is not your full-time job. You're a nonprofit. What do you guys do for your professional uh, gigs? I uh, work at a seasonal job, thankfully, where my business uh, in the Bay Area of San Francisco, I basically do um, like corporate and city events with, I have interactive. So uh, like rock climbing and zip lining and, and all of that. So I basically run that and make all my money between April um, and October 31st. And uh, it's because you work 14 hours a day, seven days a week between April and October 31st. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which makes it awesome for Howl because I have all that time off and especially have the beginning and the large chunk of bill season to, to work on this. Um, now in this last year, so this, I started Howl, right? Uh, Dude, it's it's crazy because I'm trying to keep this thing alive. Like I, I'll admit it. I would love to do this full time. It'd be incredible because then I could live anywhere. I don't have to live here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, but that's not the uh, that's not the reality right now. Um, and 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 uh, and it also, you know, I'm telling you, I don't know if my my priorities are not straight. I I love hunting so much that. And that gives me all kinds of time for hunting also, because I have all that time off. So, um, you know, I've created my own life and I'm, it's, it's, it's pretty cool, but this, this whole thing, wow. It's a full, it is a full-time job. Oh, I'm just not paying myself. No doubt. No doubt. I know even doing this podcast, I just had a conversation with Matt about ideas and, and, and I'm like, man, if, if I could just do this full time and, and, and got paid for it. Uh, because it is, it's time consuming, yeah. you know, but we're trying to, we're trying to, to make things and have a, 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 a positive impact on hunting. So I, I, I know how time consuming it could be, especially on your end where you're, you're covering topics of, of great detail. They're complex and, uh, there's no shortage of topics. Yeah. Well, and, and they're complex and, and to put an action up on the website, it's like, do we know enough to actually have an opinion? Because you, you, just because somebody pitched it to you like, oh, this is really important. Here's what's going on. It's like, okay, Charles has to go a couple layers deeper, sometimes go, has to go to the other side to like look at their stuff. Like, is, is this really a hot issue? Is this really the threat that it, they're saying it is or the opportunity that's being presented? Like, or are we going to put this out? Is how we're going to put this on the on, out there? Have thousands of messages sent, and then have to like wish we could retract all that, or wish yeah. we hadn't put that platform out there. Like that's uh, and so and then Charles is looking at you know how many states last year? How many what 30, 40 actions across 
16 to 20 states. Yeah, I think there was 38 actions. I think. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to you know, you kind of want to be become a subject matter expert for every one of them, or develop the relationship with somebody in those states where you trust that they are the subject matter expert with with the view that is consistent with with Howell's values. And there could have been a lot more if if I was full time or had staff and all that. Um, yeah. I I basically had to take like August, July through October off. I mean, I just couldn't do it. I, yeah. I was so busy working and um and then hunting also. Like I'm not going to give it up. <laughs> you know what sure. I mean? So, um, but there there certainly could have been a lot more actions for sure and. And it's not the number of actions. I we we really only try to get involved when there's number one, like an a real way for you to be engaged. Because mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of actions you'll see that are just news articles. There's nothing, there's literally nothing you can do. You know, so we look at it, is there a way for you to be involved? And and is it a relatively easy, can we set that up so that it's an easy way for you to be involved? And if it, if there is, then yeah, we'll create that action. If it's not, we don't want to get you, you know, we don't want you to get kind of blurry eyed on things and be like, Oh, what's this? You know, we, we want you to be involved because it's super important. We want to, we don't want to overwhelm you with just volume. of a bunch yeah, You of don't want to dilute the, the real issues. Exactly. Yeah. And there's it, enough of the real issues. <laughs> And so you guys have, you could join how, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then what, what does that entail? You can join, which basically means you create a, uh, you know, a login, you give us your email address and then you'll get the, you'll get a, whatever we email, which is generally some sort of take action. We're, we're generally not emailing you with anything else. Um, now in that email, there might be, Hey, you can buy this t-shirt or you can, you know, whatever. But, um, but also because our website is gamified. So, and that's all free. So you sign up with your email address and what does that mean? Apps. yeah. So if, as long as you're logged in every action you take, every time you share an action to social media, every time you sign up for say a commission meeting, uh, you know, training session with Mike you get a, a certain level of points, kind of like when you go to Starbucks and, you know, you buy 10 coffees and you get one for free. Yeah. Well, basically, basically um, when you reach a certain threshold of points, it gets you entered into contests to win, you know, something from Kafaru or whatever, you know what I mean? Whoever kind of wants to participate with us. So you can do that. That's totally free. Access to all the actions is free. You don't have to sign up for anything. It's just a web page with an action center. Um, but then you can become a member. And that's just a way to support us. Um, but on the membership page, you have access to deeper levels of discounts with our partners. So it's generally 20% or more. And that'll just give you sort of a clickable link. And then you go on their website and it, it tracks that. And at the cart, you'll get, you know, 20% off or whatnot. Um, you know, DNR commissioners and people that have been around for a long time that have seen the Anna hunters and how they work. They say, this is what we've been trying to figure out. How do we get hunters to be 
to do the same thing, but just on the side of hunting. You know, how do we get them to be activists? How do we get them to send in so many emails or show up to this? It's one of the ideas, you know, and just the intellectually kind of developing this is just mirroring what the other side does because they're so successful at it. Um, but right. just make it for hunters. Yeah. So gamification and getting points and all that, you know, it's typically things hunters are kind of like, eh, and they hate the word activist. I mean, I've had people email me like, you must be some kind of a leftist, progressive, whatever, just because I use the word activist. And because sure. we also we also use pictures of wolves, which was kind of comedic to me, honestly. Like, how for wildlife sounds not That's like great. a pro-hunting organization. Very, pro, very pro-wolf of you. Very pro-wolf. Yeah. Um, the problem is people, you. like, we can be pro. I'm pro-wolf. I yeah, also I think have. they should be managed by hunting. Yeah, like I, absolutely. I think it's I, and this is what's sad about the the anti hunting orgs is they won't ever allow a recovery to be acknowledged. Wolves are recovered. Yeah, Wol wolves are expanding in numbers and geography faster than any management management department can keep up with. They're recovered. That that should be considered a success. Grizzlies are recovered. That should be considered a success. Like like moving something into a management status where hunting is a tool and a fundraising opportunity should be celebrated. But the bottom because, line is they just don't want to see another wolf or grizzly bear dead. Well, they also can't pay for their entire legal department if, if they can't have a fight. A legal fight if they can't have if they can't perpetuate the battle mm. for that species they can't fund their ceo doesn't have a job their their legal team doesn't have a job and so i also think that some of those some of those orgs have created a cottage industry and not so cottage but an industry of perpetuating the argument um no matter how successful the recovery's been because what are they going to do then? Like, what is, what is Center for Biological Diversity go engage in in legal in federal 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 courts if they acknowledge that wolves are recovered and, and up for management? Oh, it's it's definitely a they got a lot of careers and retirements to pay. Yeah, um, it's a it's a big business. And you know what? You brought up Center for Biological Diversity. We will work with anybody as long as it makes sense for our mission. <laughs> so we, uh, to explain that, so we uh, were involved in the, um, God, what would I call it? The vehicle basically to remove feral horses off of the landscape in Arizona. And what was interesting is the Center for Biological Diversity is completely on our side on that because they recognize the habitat loss and most of the pictures and the content that I got um, was from the, is it the president or founder? You're breaking my heart, but I One get of it them from, uh, <laughs> from the center for biological diversity. So that's probably the only place we'll agree on things, but um, <laughs> as long as it makes sense for our mission, I don't care who we work with, you know, let's yeah. just get that done. And, and, and on that, front the people who were involved who were like can we use how for this they're just like you guys matched and outdid the horse advocates by far 
Like we've never seen anything like it. We've been trying this stuff for decades. The pressure just isn't there. So that's, that's what I mean. It's like we, the way we work and the way it's set up, um, it really is successful. The people really do hear from you. You'll, you will actually see responses to your emails that aren't canned because you're not sending a canned message. And that's, that's really important. You know, you're setting up a relationship with that, with that person now, whether they agree with you or not, they see it as wow, You actually took the time out and you got to the right person. You know, you didn't just fill out a form or whatever. It's really important. Yeah. And I I think recognizing some of those organizations, like I think world wildlife fund, they're not pro hunting. They're not anti hunting. They, they recognize that hunting's a part of, of, of wildlife management, especially for indigenous people. Uh, so there are organizations out there that, that we can gain support with and work with for the end goal of having thriving populations of yeah. predators and ungulates alike that we can actually hunt and, and public access. Public which sounds like is, is close to your heart. Like access, I think access is the other issue. Is there's a there's a large swath of land in, in central California in the Sierra Nevada mountains where there's a long standing discussion first introduced by the um Sierra Club um to convert this a large you know, millions of acres of national forest into national monument. And I'm like Oh, no, like, no, like that's, that's a, to me, it's a no, to me, it's a no go. Other people say, oh, you know, there's a way we can make this work. And, you know, I just, I I just really fear you take something and call it a national monument, your access issues start to go down. Well, that's the biggest thing is your access issues, your public use access, then hunting, you know, if they flip it into national park. I just really worry about the slippery slope of a lot of these access issues, um, which like public land is integral to what makes America unique. Well, it's by far the biggest roadblock for people to hunt and hunt successfully is access. And, uh, you know, you look at all these surveys and whatnot. What's the biggest roadblock that stopped you from hunting? Well, I lost my spot. Right, where I don't would have I go? anywhere to go. That's huge, huge, yeah. and it'll never go away. As our population grows, it's going to only get worse. Yeah. Why do you during the bear that? hunt? Yeah, go ahead. During the bear hunt conversation, our commission in California has has overtly said we value opportunity, and and that was one of my talking points that I tried to share out myself and have some other people bring up. Is like any Californian whether you live in the most dense urban center or in the rural, you know, north northern reaches of California, any California is about is less than 2 hours away from from public bear hunting zone. And so, you know, the idea like you take away that opportunity. Like you can't say that about deer, you can't you can't say that about any other species. Bear is one of the most opportunistic and accessible tags to you to to buy and use and and that was something that that they like you know like, uh, yeah there's a good population there's a lot of bears we're not going to we are not in the business of removing opportunity yeah. um and and access is obviously a huge part of that 
You were going to say something, yeah. Charlie? Um, yeah, I mean, maybe it's like another podcast or something. I, I kind of wanted to get into why you think what's going on with public access and why has that gone away? And to answer one of your questions that was on the Aaron Snyder podcast, there was actually more hunters in 1980 than there is now. And yeah, I, thought, I, I, I just, I just looked that up and I was like, God, that's crazy that there is more than there is now. I'm not talking per capita or percentage wise. There was numerically more numbers in 1980 than there is now with all the TV and social media and everything. And I don't know. I don't know the answers. It was just really interesting to me. And I couldn't believe there's actually more than that is another podcast that I I, I plan on getting into because I want to look at, at our population and the acreage and how the acreage has reduced because I don't care what side of the fence you are politically. I mean, our population is growing worldwide. I think there's 8 billion people uh, in yeah. in the world. In, in 1970, there were 3 billion people. You know, I mean, that, it's, it's yeah. not sustainable. And, and that's so deep of a conversation and topic yeah. to get into. But the, you know, just in my lifetime, the population is, is just grown to a point yeah. where it's like it's it's just the, the elephant in the room and it's going to get worse but yeah it it is another it is yeah. another topic to get into but so, super interesting it's super super interesting to sure, listen to sure i mean yeah. yeah there's a guy that's coming on that's um he's going to talk about the population dynamics and how it impacts uh threatened and endangered species so we're going to obviously talk about that very topic but uh we should probably wrap wrap it up and you guys are um you guys have a podcast you guys have a website you want to plug that and tell us what else you guys are doing that's howlforwildlife.org or howl.org they both work um instagram is basically where everything starts and then it just gets shared out to Twitter and Facebook, but that's Howl underscore org. Um, our podcast is is Howl for Wildlife, Howlcast. Actually, one today on the whole elk issue and bear opportunity and deer opportunity. Um, it's it's basically a syndication of um, Mike's podcast that he just did. Um, his podcast is Hunting Ain't Easy, but it's I just was like, hey, send me that link and I'll put it on our podcast because it's it's that good. It covers I'll everything. Have to check it out. So. Yeah, that's going to be live today in three hours, I think. Um, that's a really good one. And uh, magic. Yeah, offerwildlife.org. Any uh, any close closing thoughts that that you want to leave people with? Because I think myself included, we just need to do more, man. Myself included. It's just that simple. It's just a numbers game. So it's it's really, really easy to get involved with us and to be involved, even though if you see it as just sending an email, I like to look at it as well. Let's have a million people sending an email. Let's have a million people involved. It's just that easy. So it's a numbers game. So please just sign up, wait for the action alerts, follow us on social media, because it's basically all just about action alerts or, or talking about them in some way, shape or form. And, um, 
Yeah. Just a numbers game. And showing up. Showing you up. Know, I mean, the, the action alerts are the, 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 you know, it's a one click to communicating in the modern method of sending an email, which is what they count. And, or it's a one click to signing up to be at a commission meeting. Um, and this is where, you know, hunters need to be advocates and we can't just complain about losing because we didn't like the refs. Um, you know, this is where we need to tell our neighbors that we hunt. We need to tell, we need to put it out there like, Hey, like normalize the fact that we hunt. Like, it's okay. It's good. Like we're, I'm still a good person. Um, and then, and then showing up is key communicating with the right people, which Hal makes incredibly easy. Um, that we're here and we're paying attention and we're passionate and we have a value system that, that we want them to support. So got it, got to be in the arena. Right on. Well, thanks guys for coming yeah. on. I appreciate it. Jim. Awesome. Awesome. Talking to you. Um, I'm, I'm definitely going to be listening to your podcast now for sure. That last one was awesome. Um, thanks for having us on. Yeah. Thanks, thanks Jim. Take care. See ya.